If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 12. We'll look at verses 1 through 14. Um, or we could just uh, follow along in the next page of the bulletin where the same text is printed. <clears throat> Last week, we began to consider what it means uh, when Jesus says, Come to me, all who, are, uh, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, We started to look at that theme last week. This morning, we'll dive more deeply into that theme of the real rest that Jesus gives us, uh, because the the biblical theme of rest that he has introduced at the end of chapter 11 naturally flows right into the Sabbath, uh, the holy day of rest that God first instituted at creation on the seventh day, the perfect day, the the day of completion and celebration. And then again, uh, when God formed a new people for himself after the exodus from Egypt, after saving them from the house of bondage. So, uh, so once again, you know, sort of please ignore the chapter divisions that you'll find in your Bible. And let's just see the connections between what Jesus just said at the end of chapter 11 with what's uh, recorded for us here in chapter 12 about what he said and did on one Sabbath in particular. So this is an expansion on the idea of the rest that he came to bring. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And when he does that, it makes religious legalists piping mad, so mad that they want to kill him. But the reality that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath is incredibly good news for all who are weary of labor and uh, who weary of being heavy laden, who would come to him for rest. It's good news for us. So let's uh, hear what Jesus has to say. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might believe and trust and love and exalt your Son in our hearts as we hear his words to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Well, I know it might be hard uh, to hear, but it's true. It's a big part of this uh, passage, this chapter, and it's a good place to start, is that good, moral, religious, legalistic people hate Jesus for his mercy. So if you're annoyed by the mercy of Jesus, if you're annoyed by the grace of God, you better watch out. Because God is gracious, and he will be gracious. If you're uncomfortable with the freedom that his grace affords us, then this is a good opportunity to stop and examine your response. Why are you annoyed? Why are you uncomfortable? What's your response to Jesus? Maybe it's a good time to confess to Jesus that you've hated him, that you've hated his mercy. And a good time then to ask him for his mercy and to ask him for his forgiveness. Let's talk about why Jesus makes legalistic people so mad, as we find here in our passage, uh, so mad that they would conspire against him how to destroy him. This is when they get murderously angry at Jesus. So the Pharisees get upset about two things here, basically the two paragraphs. So in the first paragraph, Jesus' disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath. They get upset about that. The second paragraph Jesus heals this man who has a withered hand. He does this healing on the Sabbath. They're upset about that. So the Pharisees were uh, apparently very concerned with the keeping of the Sabbath. And they thought that these two things, the disciples plucking the grain and Jesus healing the man, they thought these two things were unlawful. That's the language they use, sort of against God's law. They thought it was unlawful for these things to be happening on the Sabbath. And the reason why they got so agitated about these things, the real reason they got so upset at Jesus that they wanted to conspire against him to destroy him, was because they believed, and this is a matter of historical record, this is uh, shown to be obvious throughout the, the Gospels whenever you see the Pharisees, they believed that if you could just keep God's law, if you could just keep the Sabbath perfectly, if they could get all of God's people to strictly observe even one single Sabbath, then God would be pleased with them all and he would restore the kingdom to them. They wanted so badly a return to the the golden age, a restoration of the kingdom of David. And this is the very definition of legalism. Basically, people are legalistic Because they believe they can establish the kingdom by their good works. They can usher in the kingdom through what they do. If we can just find out how we're supposed to live. If we can just do enough or be good enough or we could just do it right. Then God will reward us and we'll find peace and the world will be fixed. And there will be shalom and, and righteousness. But that's a transaction. That's not a relationship. Uh, we, you know, it's a transaction where we pay with our good works and then we get something from God. In fact, he'll owe it to us. <clears throat> the Pharisees were very intense about this program, very zealous, very fervent about this program. They were quite literally 
uh, Christian nationalists. They were Christian nationalists, even the Christian part. They thought that the Christ would come and restore their earthly nation, that he would advance God's kingdom by enforcing biblical laws in the land. And here the disciples of Jesus were ruining it by breaking the Sabbath, so they pressed Jesus to fix this problem of their bad behavior. After all, isn't that what the Christ was coming to do, fix the problem of bad behavior? So Jesus, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do. And that's true. The disciples were breaking the Sabbath. In our culture, maybe we'd think, uh, you know, you start to examine this passage with our perspective, and you think, uh, they're breaking the law by stealing crops that are grown in someone else's farm, land, yard thing, you know? Uh, Someone else's field. They're passing by. They take the grain. That's not theirs to take. We would think it's stealing. But God's law actually allowed them to do this. It says in Deuteronomy 23, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. You're not there to harvest and take it home. Uh, But if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, this continues, uh, you may pluck the ears with your hand. You shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Sort of like minimalistic survival harvesting is allowed on other people's property. And in fact, the farm owners were told to allow for this. They were told not to harvest to the very edges of their property as a mercy to the poor, to allow them to glean. That's the language that we've um, sort of used for this concept, to allow them to glean for the food they needed. So in Leviticus 19, God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest, all the stuff that's sort of fallen on the ground. <clears throat> and it says, if, and, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. So God's character is connected to this law. God's heart of mercy is foundational to his law. So it was okay for the disciples in general to do something like this, to pluck grains and eat them as they're passing by someone else's field. What was unlawful was doing that on the Sabbath. It actually was. Harvesting on the Sabbath is work. And the scriptures teach in Exodus 31, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So actually, Jesus doesn't deny the sin of his disciples here. He doesn't make excuses for them. Instead, he tells this little story about David, you know, the great King David of the golden age of God's kingdom. He said to the Pharisees, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus is emphasizing a certain detail of the story. He refers to David and those who were with him uh, twice. And you should hear air quotes around that phrase, those who were with him, because there was no one with David. 
There was no one with David. It's an important part of the story. You go back and read the story, the whole story. In fact, we, did, we read some of it. Uh, Bill read some in our Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel 21. And so that detail doesn't match up because David was alone. But here Jesus says, those who were with him. Yeah? So, so David was on the run from Saul. And he was alone. So either Jesus was wrong about that little detail that he uh, repeated a couple times. Or he's drawing attention to something by saying it a couple times. We find in the story that the high priest was afraid when he asked David, why are you alone and no one with you? Very clear. You're alone. No one is with you. And David lied to him. He lied about having special orders from King Saul. He lied about having men waiting for him to meet him. So by repeatedly uh, referring to those who were supposedly with David, Jesus is calling attention to David's lie. David deceived the high priest in order to get the holy bread that was unlawful for him to eat. And David's lies got that high priest killed when Saul found out about it. It got him killed. And all the other high priests, plus eight, more than 80 other priests, plus all the men and women and children and livestock of their village, they died. David lied, and this village was wiped out. David, who would go on to be the great king of the golden age of Israel. So Ronald Kernigan says in a commentary on this, uh, this event that's happening in the gospel, he says that the kingdom of David was the model for the dreams of independence in first century Judaism. Thus, with this brief and scathing reference to David, Jesus dismissed the entire theological structure upon which the Pharisees had built their hopes. David himself had broken the law, and an entire Israelite village had consequently been annihilated. Pharisaic rigor was not the premise on which the kingdom of David was founded, nor was it the appropriate measure of Jesus and his followers. The kingdom of God would not come at some point in the distant future when all Israel kept the Sabbath perfectly. Ironically, the reign of God was already present, but the Pharisees did not see it. So Jesus is exposing something here when, when he's telling the story. God doesn't give the kingdom as a reward to good people. To people who perfectly keep all his commandments. There have never been any people who have perfectly kept all God's commandments. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked with the great King David of the golden uh, age of the kingdom. That's not how it works with any of us sinners. Legalism just isn't how it works. God didn't institute legalism as a way to earn his reward, as a way to find peace by doing all the right things, as a way to fix the world or usher in his kingdom. God didn't institute legalism as that, that pathway. Sinners instituted legalism as a way to try to feel good about themselves, to reduce their dealings with God 
to transactions rather than having a real relationship with him. Because a real relationship with God has always meant living in reality. We come to God as sinners, not as righteous people. Never at any point do we come to God as righteous people. We come to God as those who have hated him, as those who have rejected him. We, we confess our sin and our need for his mercy. And he forgives us and he saves us from ourselves and from our false ways. The Sabbath has always been intended to be a celebration of that. A celebration of God's work. Of God's holy grace. A celebration of God's deliverance and his salvation. God first instituted the Sabbath at creation. Uh, In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's emphatic. He's the one who did the work. In the Bible, the symbolic significance of this number seven, that we find on the seventh day, the Sabbath, it comes from this day. The Sabbath was the day of completion. The Sabbath is the day of perfection. The Sabbath is the day when everything is as it's supposed to be. The day when God looked upon his own work with holy satisfaction. No one else had done the work of creation, but God alone. The creation was his gift, and the Sabbath was his gift. He invited humanity to join him in the enjoyment of what he had made and what he had given. And so he instituted the Sabbath before the fall, before sin. It's in chapter 2 of Genesis, before chapter 3. So observing the Sabbath... Observing the Sabbath isn't for fixing what's wrong with the world. Because there was nothing wrong with the world. Everything was right with the world. Observing the Sabbath is about resting in what God has done. It's a day for celebrating his glorious blessings. And the same theme is picked up again and elaborated upon when God gives the Ten Commandments to his people after the exodus from Egypt. So the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment, is to observe the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal, right? So the first time God gives the commandments, he says this, and this is printed um, in the bulletin there from Exodus 20. This is the first time God gives these commandments. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And then he gives the reason for keeping the Sabbath holy. Because in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God grounds the Sabbath in his own work of creation. 
And then the second time the commandments are given to the people, all the commandments are all the same. The thing that changes is actually the only thing that changes is the reason for this commandment. Uh, another reason is given for keeping the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. It says, you shall keep this commandment, keep the Sabbath holy and observe it. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember that picture as we uh, come to the second paragraph of our passage. Therefore, Yahweh, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So God grounds the Sabbath in his own work. Here, his own work of salvation. Salvation is like creation in that it's entirely of God's work. In fact, salvation is a new creation. It's a, a work of God's free grace. The Sabbath is for celebrating the work of God's free grace. God's free grace is the theme. Listen to another passage on the Sabbath from Exodus 31. Yahweh said to Moses, you're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. I'm the one who sanctifies you, sets you apart. Saves you. So the Sabbath is meant to be an enduring sign to us that we relate to God by His work, by His grace. The Sabbath is not about transactions with God. The Sabbath is about relating to God in a relationship that He has restored in His mercy. The Sabbath means rest for our souls, it means rest and freedom from the self imposed tyranny of legalism, the sin of legalism. So here you've got the Pharisees telling Jesus that his disciples are doing it wrong. And Jesus says, yeah, haven't you noticed my people always do it wrong? Their sin doesn't stop me from giving my kingdom to them. The legalistic religious folks condemn sinners, but Jesus declares them guiltless. He tells the Pharisees in verse 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So you might think Jesus is saying uh, that he's sort of defending their righteousness and saying they're guiltless because they haven't done anything wrong. But that's not how he's doing it. In fact, he's, he's extending the mercy of God to his disciples. He's declaring them to be guiltless, even though they're guilty. He's declaring them to be free of the condemnation that they actually deserve. Just as if they had never sinned or been sinners. The legalists would bind everyone up under an inescapable condemnation. But the work of God's free grace in Christ sets us free. And ultimately, this work is seen in his sacrificial death on the cross. Death is required for breaking God's commandments. But the death of Christ has us covered. It's through our union with him and his death and his resurrection that now we're a new creation. We're a delivered people who are set free from the law. 
All the threat of condemnation and death is gone forever. Now all is mercy and joy. So the Sabbath is not about what do we have to do or not do to make God happy? It isn't about our works making things right. It's about receiving and resting and relating to him through the gift of his grace. The Sabbath does insist that uh, we come to God only by the way of rest, by, by resting, by ceasing from our own works to find refreshment in his works. That's the only way you come to God. Any other way means death because it means separation from the God of life. We have to come to the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, the Lord who gives us rest for our souls. We have, to, we have only to rest in his finished works on our behalf. We, we don't um, work really hard to facilitate his kingdom. We already have the kingdom given to us as a gift. We're already in it. We're already part of it. We're already heirs, co-heirs with Christ of it. He has brought it with him. He's brought his kingdom into the world. It is a reality that we receive that we inherit as a gift by faith. And that is a way of relating to God that legalists just are not interested in. It's not enough for them. They want to be able to lay claim to the kingdom through some worthiness of their own. They want to deserve it. They wish that it worked that way. They can't stand the idea of God's mercy coming to them in spite of their own sinfulness. They resent the charge of sinfulness. They pretend concern for the law of God, but it is no true love for God or for his ways or for his law. That is exposed in this passage. The Pharisees looked to trap Jesus. So Jesus went on from there, entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. They're setting him up. This is entrapment. They're looking for accusations to bring against someone. Looking to trap someone? This is the kind of thing that the wicked do. You read about that all over the place in the Old Testament. We can hear the voice of Jesus praying Psalm 119. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The wicked have laid a snare. So whereas the disciples <clears throat> might have broken God's law concerning the Sabbath and they needed God's Sabbath mercy, Jesus himself never broke any of God's commandments, but perfectly fulfilled them all. He understands God's law better and more truly than anyone who ever lived. He said to them, which one of you as a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, <clears throat> will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good, to show mercy, to deliver and save on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a celebration of God's goodness and mercy and deliverance and salvation. So those things match up perfectly. <clears throat> the Sabbath is a gift. It's a lightening of the load. It's not a burden. The Lord of the Sabbath came to break our chains, to set us free, which means setting us free to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So yes, loving your neighbor makes perfect, perfect sense on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. Behold, this is the work of the Creator, 
making his creation new and whole and right. Behold, this is the work of Yahweh, your God, delivering with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His compassion and his power should bring us to kneel before him, weeping with joy, but Pharisees are miserable in their hatred of God's grace. They're tormented in their seething resentment of the love and mercy of Christ, and their murderous fury is now brought to light by Jesus. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. They pretend to be zealous for God's law, but in their hearts they're supremely lawless because they hate God. They hate his merciful love. They want the transactional arrangement where they get to think of themselves as good, moral, lawful people and where God treats them how they presume they deserve to be treated. And when they can no longer avoid the fact that these are not God's ways and that's not how it's going to work, that God's way is a way of mercy and grace, they can't avoid that anymore, they seek to murder him, to murder the God of love. It should go without saying, but uh, that is antithetical to God's law. As Denarian Day says in The Guardians of the Galaxy, that's, that's actually murder. It's one of the worst crimes of all, so also illegal. <laughs> Legalists think that they're doing God's law, but the Lord of the Sabbath reveals that they most certainly are not. The law was given to serve God's promises of grace, to point us to God's promises of grace, And legalists like the Pharisees elevate the law above the promises. And they put the law before the promises. And in doing so, they truly lose both because they pit themselves against the God who gave both the law and the promises. Is the Sabbath, is the Lord's day an ordeal of holiness for you? The dreaded bane of little children everywhere? Because you view it essentially as a day of strict rules to keep God happy? Or is it the day of freedom, the day of deliverance, the day for singing and dancing and playing and clapping with hearts made light and souls refreshed by the Lord of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is given to you to remember that the God who made the heavens and the earth caps off his creation and all his work with joyful celebration and refreshment, that it is God alone who delivers and sanctifies his people by his grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, you shall remember that you yourselves were slaves not in Egypt, slaves to your sin. And that the Lord of the Sabbath alone has delivered you. He's made you new. Therefore, keep the Lord's day. Keep the day of his resurrection. The day of complete freedom, even from death. Remember the works that he has done. How he himself said, it is finished. Remember the great celebration that is yet to come because he's making all things new. So keep the Sabbath holy. Set it utterly apart from the ways of this world as a sacred reminder of the Lord's mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, the way you have set forth for us to relate to you is utterly foreign to our sinful nature. We instinctively oppose the goodness of your works, your mercy, and the rest that is freely offered to us in Christ. Forgive our rebellion, change our hearts so that we can truly delight in your Son and in all of your ways. Make your Sabbath holy to us.
Lord of the Sabbath. Remind us always of your gracious gifts through the Spirit. You have blessed us, even though we don't deserve it. And so all we can do is thank you and praise you. And we do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Deliverer. Amen.